Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, Dad, what's up? What's up? How you doing? Doing pretty good. This is my first week of data collection being done. Like, I have my life back. Nice. <laughs> I know that feels good. It feels so good. Um, like I've said before, because I was working in a school, this was literally like having a nine to five job, which I haven't had since like I was like 23 or 24. So it's like been a good 10 years since I've had a place to be for like set amount of hours. And that was really hard for me. I won't lie. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's tough for us who've been in these academic settings for so long. Yeah. <laughs> used to having maybe two, three hours of something to do, and then that's it. You know? That's it. <laughs> little short, little, you know, spurts sure. oh, and bursts. got class, all right, and that's it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not wired like that anymore. So I've just been like exhausted. Every night I was getting in bed on time, I needed naps, and it's just, mm-hmm. I'm happy to be back to my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I hear things like that, it just makes me, you know, just feel, you know, the privilege I have of being in academia sometimes, like, mm-hmm. reminds myself, all right, all right, you can't complain too much about what you got going on here, because yeah. there, there's some uh, some benefits to this lifestyle, for sure. I agree. Um, and also, so, you know, it was just a holiday weekend, so I traveled to Illinois, and we had a little weekend project to where we use our second bedroom as an office, but we only have one desk. And since John works from home as well, like sometimes we're like fighting over the desk, like his junk is, you know, <laughs> in my way, my junk is in his way. And so we actually came up with this idea of turning the closet in our office into like an extra desk space. Like we went uh-huh. online in, and like people make a very elaborate to where like you convert uh, closets into like offices. So we built like an extra desk space, dual monitors uh, or like a computer. And so it's just now it's like when I get back to Illinois at the beginning of June, I can hit the ground running. And if he has to work at home, I have to work at home. We both have our own space. So Y'all both be working together. Okay. Yeah, I see yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it felt, felt a little good to do that. Couple goals. Okay. I see. Uh, yeah. Nothing much. Like it's like, like you, you know, semester was over last week. So this past week I was just chilling. Like everybody, my mom, everybody's calling me and it was just like, yo, you sound, you are, you sound like you tired, relax. I'm like, yo, I'm just sitting on the couch, just watching Netflix and just relax. That is so funny. Yeah. That's all I was doing, going to the gym and then just coming home and binge watching TV shows, you know, so that that's all I've been doing for real. You, you need that. You need that after a tough semester. Mm-hmm. I watched a show called um, The Society. Oh yeah. I started watching that. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was good. It's interesting. You know, I hope they make, uh, you know, usually Netflix has at least two seasons, so I'm pretty sure there'll be a second season in that. But, you know, that's one of the shows you kind of want to see how it progresses and what happens. I do. It was a pretty decent show. I actually realized I finished it. I binge watched that. Oh, you finished not this it? Past weekend. It was the last weekend, yeah. So I, oh, I binge watched it. But I like shows like that. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. 
It was good. Uh, anything else? Nah, nothing really. You know, just chilling. And I guess, like you said, your home improvement thing in the beginning of June, I'll be trying to do a really good, good. I guess it will be summer not really spring cleaning, but, mm-hmm. but trying to get, uh, just, you know, give it all the clutter, paperwork, old clothes, just kind of go through everything and just, you know, cleanse my apartment a little bit more. Yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Have you all ever considered getting help with cleaning? Have we considered it? Yes. It might've been a it. thought. Yeah. We haven't done it, but it's probably been a thought that has come across our minds sometimes. Yeah. Sure. So it's like when I when I travel away, when mm-hmm. I come home and the house is like spig and span, I'm like, you did not do this. <laughs> Who did you bring in here to do? <laughs> and you know, it'll take days. It took days for him to confess that, like, okay, somebody did come in and like <laughs> help out. And I'm just like, you did not do this. Like, why are you lying? Uh, <laughs> um, but it's something, you know, I won't lie. It's like when I get into like dissertation, when I get into writing mode period things just don't look right they just don't look right so i I have to figure out like what am i gonna do about like maintaining home you know i watched that show a couple episodes of that show tidying up on Mm -hmm. netflix with marie a condo or something like that. yeah and um you know it makes a lot of sense man just like when you all have things organized in places it just seems like you can be f- effective and everything else because a lot of the times when i'm trying to like before i'll do work so i'm like oh i need to get these dishes done or i gotta take out the trash guy it's like it's like all this other stuff for like these little chores in the back of my mind instead i could just get to my work and then sometimes after i finish all the chores i'm like all right, i'm gonna relax now yeah get to my work yeah. so if, i think it's just like this kind of psychological effect like oh you wake up everything's clean and organized all right now i can get busy with my day without feeling like all that little you know the mess yeah so that's why i want to i want to give that sh- that that a shot too Okay, yeah, let's let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let y'all know how it goes. Yeah. For sure. Um, but you know, today's episode, as we said last week, is is the end of the month episode. So we're gonna just wrap up by, you know, spending some time going in depth on a lot of uh current events that's happened throughout the month, some topics that have been coming up and arising that we really need to have a chance to talk to because of the interview, talk about because of the interview. So, you know, Daphne and I will spend some time today to chat about some of the some of the hot topics what caught our attention this past month of May. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we want you all to pay attention to these news stories. So, like, you know, we're going to get into, you know, oh, Lord, news that we didn't do on the last episode and things like that. But I just want to call somebody out. You know who hasn't been listening to oh, Lord, news? Who? John. What? So I get home and you know what's plugged in? The podcast? No. What? An Alexa Echo Dot. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, so, clearly somebody hasn't gotten a memo. I'm like, dude. You need to unplug that. They are listening to our conversation. I was like, don't expect me to ever have a conversation with you in this room, <laughs> ever. Don't know about nothing serious. Just, yeah. Yeah, you need to pay. This is why we tell you to listen, John. Come on, man. Come on, man. But <laughs> I will say, I did end up Googling. There There are ways to like prevent your data from being sent to Amazon, but still... Okay. It's it's sketchy to me. I'm still gonna be careful about what I say, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just fully can't trust it all the way yet. Yeah, 
Still, I'm sure they're still working out a lot of kinks. So, but listen to us, y'all. We try and inform y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and also, spouses, listen to Old Lord News, please. Yes, man. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, one of the first stories I guess we could hop into. Um, it, you know, we kind of briefly mentioned last week, uh, but we definitely don't want to talk about it now because it piqued my interest a lot. And um, definitely want to hear some of Daphne's perspective on this is this whole SAT adversity score thing mm-hmm. that has been uh, popping up recently in the news. Um, it caught my attention for a lot of reasons. And like I said, kind of briefly mentioned last week, I'm trying to really uh, figure out how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And even though I've been reading some things, I'm still not quite sure. It's one of those things that I guess because of just historically how things have gone with black folk and like it sounds good but i don't know if i could fully trust it all the way yet until i guess i see it in action or hear more about it as it progresses but for those of you who don't know this sat adversity score has been something that the essay uh well you know the college board you know creates sats and stuff have been working on uh i think for the past three or so years have been kind of testing it out mm-hmm. and essentially this score is um a new score in which it's kind of known, I guess, as the disadvantage score. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they're trying to do is provide context to SAT scores. So traditionally, you know, schools look at SAT scores where the, you know, whatever the person has compared to the other list of people who are applying to the schools and that's all they have. Mm-hmm. But we know uh, through the sociological lens and tons of research that there's a lot of different things that factor into these scores. One, we already know about the cultural bias as well, but um, environment, community, what kind of school systems are you are you a part of? Where are you raised? Where do you live? And so this is what this new score is actually factoring in, um, kind of looking at, you know, uh, unemployment rates, looking at crime rates, looking at all these different factors and then giving a score. The higher the score means the, the higher the disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And so a student who has a 1200 on the SAT who uh, if there's two students who have a 1200 on the SAT and one student has a high adversity score and one has a low well the low person means they come from a good school background have a lot of resources etc and the person who has a high disadvantage background um, it seems it just provides more context to see who the school can let in Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a lot of controversy around it, depending, not controversy, but debate, how file people feel about it. Uh, before we get into that, kind of, Daphne, how do you feel about it? What do you know about it? And how do you feel about this diversity score? Um, so, hmm. you know, I've been thinking about this. And while I can understand their desire to provide context to student scores, which I think it is important, But for me, I don't know how I feel about some, you know, organization, you know, that is so detached from the lives of students getting to decide how much adversity a student has experienced and getting to decide what adversity is or is not. If you get what I'm saying? Mm hmm. And and that's just weird. So kind of going a little bit more into what is it? They have like a neighborhood measure and that comprises uh, income, family structure, housing, educational attainment, the likelihood of being a victim of a crime. And there's a high school measure that's, you know, also uh, looking at the, I guess, the median or average, you know, income of the school, um, percentage of families that are from like single parent homes or from poverty at the school, the average educational attainment. So it's, it, it seems like it's mostly focused on like income and like poverty 
But I don't know. Numbers don't always tell the entire story. And, you know, I've been doing research in a high school and I'm not sure that any number could actually, you know, boil down the lived experiences of any of these students. See what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a strange thing because I think you're right. We're uh, you're finding a, I guess, a quantitative solution to a qualitative problem. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that is the problem of social science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That everything we just need numbers. We need numbers. We need numbers is going to fix it all. And I think yeah, this is I guess where some of our um, hesitancy comes from when we're talking about this and trying to dissect what how it can truly impact. So, yeah, we're looking at how, uh, you know, quantitatively this can affect. And this is, I think, some of the issues. Um, One is that I think they said that this number is going to be hidden in Mm -hmm. a way that Mm -hmm. I think only the schools can see. And then maybe the college board, the SAT folk, Mm -hmm. I don't think Mm -hmm. actual students and and everyone It's not going to be public available. uh, We'll actually be able to know, like, what's our score, what's being taken into consideration, which I think is already problematic. Yeah, <laughs> because then if there are biases and stuff, we won't be able to tell like what's going on. Like if you're going to do this, then let us know what these scores are and how they're looking. Uh, so that's already a big issue. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I don't like that hidden part um, because I, I don't know, and I also don't like the idea of like oppression Olympics. Like you know, I'm going to calculate your score versus this score. And so like, you know, thinking about how numbers kind of obscure things. So I've been doing interviews and the school that I've been conducting research at has a high like absentee rate, like students are often absent from school. And, you know, it could be for any number of reasons. And I've been asking like educators, do you think, you know, policymakers or outsiders understand what is like driving this absentee number? And, you know, they're like, no, because if you're in the school every day, you understand that like some of these students are literally working full-time jobs. They get out of school at like three or four, 30 minutes later, they're at their job and they're there until like 12 or one o'clock, like working a full, you know, eight to 10 hour shift. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like, and that's one example, but it's like, I don't know. I just I don't think you can boil down complex lived experiences into numbers and to try to compare it. I I don't know. I don't think it is bad for colleges to take adversity into account. I'm just not sure if this number is the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a little bit more background, because what they some people or some critics are saying that, oh, this is a roundabout way to get uh, like affirmative action or race based kind of uh, inclusion criteria uh, because there was a, a public, a national poll that was conducted and 28% of Americans said that they had an issue with, uh, you know, um, uh, race being a factor in admissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but almost 60% of these people said that they didn't, that colleges should take into account, you know, the overcoming of hardships such as poverty, health problems, et cetera, et cetera, into admission factors. So I think the college board took that and made this new thing. Um, so without explicitly saying race, then more people should be accepting of it. And with some of the pilot studies, I think it was in um, a study of a pilot program that looked at eight selective universities that kind of use this thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty much found that there was uh, an increase in uh, students of color in admissions because of this score. Um, 
but then on the flip side, uh, another critic was saying that, you know, one one issue is that potentially what what I think it was uh, somebody at Harvard, I believe, um, Heather McDonald, maybe. No, I don't know if that's the right person. Um, but I, I don't think that I don't know if that's the right person. But Heather McDonald, oh no, she had the Manhattan Institute mm-hmm. looked at it and um, pretty much said that one of the things that her researchers found was that proportion of the black and Hispanic students who are economically advantaged uh, would drop from, uh, from about 71% to about 29% uh, mm. in, in enrollments. Um, so it's not like it's, so it's taking students who are coming from black students who are coming from socioeconomic, higher socioeconomic backgrounds and now making it more difficult for them to get accepted um, as well, which is this kind of, unintended consequence that she's been finding in his early preliminary research with this adversity score too. You know um, what? I, I could definitely see that having an unintended impact on more socioeconomically advantaged students of color. I think it is also important because this sounds like a trickle down policy. If we yeah. focus on poverty, if we focus on socioeconomics, which, you know, it is very much correlated with race, then it can increase, you know, racial diversity without saying we're focusing on racial diversity. But policies like this always have like unintended consequences because sometimes when you only focus on economics, sometimes when you only focus on economics, the people who benefit historically are more socioeconomically disadvantaged white people and not saying they don't deserve opportunity or deserve more, but it's kind of like, don't use class base or economic based policies to address a racial issue because it leads to potential other racial issues such as the advantage students of color, or it targets uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged white students. So it's just kind of like if it's an economic policy, say that, but like don't try to wrap a racial policy into an economic policy. If yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I can see that happening because it seems like they'll be like, oh, let's um, take out you know, oh, this black kid comes from this background and is not doing as well, so there shouldn't be an excuse, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when there's still racial components to why, why they're not doing as well in a predominantly white area um, and education that's not, you know, representative of their experiences and their cultural and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of factors. Like I said, I don't, it's not, it's like, I think, okay, I, I think on one in, uh, essence, I appreciate what they're trying to do here. Um, but I think this shouldn't be the only measure used. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to feel like, do we, how can we do this stuff? And I don't know, do we, I always had this conversation, like, do we need SAT scores? Is this, you know, a necessity? Um, does it really predict, you know, uh, future uh, educational outcomes, um, even for somebody like myself who did not do well on standardized testing, did, did very well in college, you know, and it's just like, I don't know, I just find that it's not 
probably the best measure and maybe we should start finding just alternative ways instead of just basing everything around SAT because this is still a, a measurement based around the SAT score. Well, um, well, I was about to say there's a lot of research that suggests that class rank and GPA are much better indicators of college performance than the SAT. So they mm-hmm. have SAT 1 and then they have SAT 2 which are like subject specific tests. Um, for the SAT 1 which is just like a you know, kind of standardized test is is not as well of a predictor as class rank and grades. And then you think about what goes into grades. That's actual work. Like that predicts a student's probably work ethic and a number of other things that matters for persistence through college than being able to study for one random standardized test. And I mean, even like thinking about the graduate level, plenty of people have now increasingly come to the conclusion that GRE is not a good predictor of whether someone will persist and remain in the program and do well in it. There are other measures of that. So I think we should move. And I think if I hope that if colleges are going to start looking at adversity and, you know, trying to increase the number of students who come from uh, diverse backgrounds and have experienced adversity, that they are also going to have the supports on campus to help these students make it through. It's not enough to just admit students that are from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds or from different racial backgrounds, but you have to have the programming and the supports on campus to ensure that these students are able to succeed. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Don't just be about the numbers because, again, numbers hide a lot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So we'll keep our eye on this, um, you know, adversity score and and see how it's implemented and what the conversations are around it and continue to update you all as new new info arises. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess continue on a conversation, too, with young adults Mm -hmm. uh, in a way. Um, A recent article um, I read the other day came out on CNN Health, which was looking at kind of the linkages between young adults and cancer, because I know we probably mentioned it before. At some point in this podcast, I remember that, you know, cancer has been kind of rising, uh, getting younger, younger Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cancer patients. Um, And so this study, you know, was looking at Twenty and older adults, and trying to have fine linkages, what causing the cancer? And one of the biggest things they found uh, with the younger onset cancer patients is uh, been linked to poor diet choices. Mm. Um, uh, and so the study was conducted recently, within two thousand between two thousand thirteen and two thousand sixteen. Um, and looking at certain groups of folk who are dealing with cancer, eating habits, et cetera, all these different criteria, and they were finding certain linkages to what. Uh, well, they did find linkages to things that can increase the risk of cancer. Um, and the seven dietary factors they looked at were a low intake of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and dairy products, and a high intake of processed meats, red meats, and sugary beverages such as soda. Um, what they found to have uh, the highest, um, well, one of the highest linkages was low whole grain, low whole grain consumption was associated with the largest cancer burden in the U.S., okay. followed by low dairy intake, then high processed meat intake, then low vegetable and fruit intake, and then high red meat intake and high intake of sugar and sweetened beverages. Um, throughout, the, throughout the article, pretty much one of the things they kept honing on with the most was really uh, the impact of processed meats and processed foods mm-hmm. uh, had a very strong linkage to um, 
the the cancer patients and, and earlier onset cancer and stuff like that. Yeah, I read that article as well, and it was, you know, a little scary and out together. Like, seriously, because I actually know, so in my mid-20s, I was probably like 23 or 24, I actually um, had a friend who passed from, um, I think, a stomach cancer. And we were in our 20s, and it's like, wow, how did that happen? And I know other people who are, like, on the younger side that have been, um, you know, kind of, you know, stricken by um, either, you know, dietary diseases um, or cancer. And it's just kind of like, it's serious out here. Uh, We're eating foods that our ancestors did not eat. Mm -hmm. And we need to move like toward more clean eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good good point because they say in this same article, it said that um, the two groups, it said men between 45 and 64 64 years old had, um, this was affected by, but also ethnic minorities, mm-hmm. including Blacks and Hispanics in general, had the highest proportion of diet-associated cancer burdens, right? So, yeah, you're right. Our ancestors, Black folk, our diet, this diet is not conducive to our DNA um, in a lot of ways, and it is hurting us more so than other folks when it comes to at least linkages to cancer. Yeah, and I just think, I won't lie, I just think about like some of the stuff I ate like growing up. You know, like when you were a kid, the summertime, mm-hmm. just like the random, just extra processed things that I ate. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, it, it probably wasn't good. And I could see that like having a, a negative effect. I don't eat many of those things anymore. Yeah. But, you know, I can think of plenty of summers where it was like, you know, those little fake juices where it's just like they different colors mm-hmm. you know yep, what I'm talking the about? Waters. <laughs> yeah yeah but like ain't nothing but sugar yeah. and water um noodles i used to love you know ramen mm-hmm. noodles mm-hmm. like just sodium. like all this yep. <laughs> yeah tons of sodium they are fried did you know that ramen noodles are fried oh, no, I know that. before they're like yeah they're fried and like dehydrated mm. or something like that yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like thinking of all that stuff I used to eat as a kid is like my kids are going to have a completely different diet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of the big things is just American culture in general, how we're so fast paced. And so everything's grab and go. And most of the stuff you grab and go is going to be that processed stuff or that sugary stuff. And it's usually the cheapest as well, which is also a problem with our, uh, you know, our current setup at the moment so you know i just had a mm-hmm. deep conversation with my brothers the other day because my one brother just will not eat vegetables you know and i'm just like mm-hmm. bro you need he's about to be 30 in a couple of weeks i'm like bro you need to start eating vegetables man and start taking this stuff seriously um because you know uh we do have our history like you know uh, the adults the older folks in our family have history of like hypertension and stuff like that and high blood pressure. And mm-hmm. It's like, if we see this and we know what the science is saying and what contributes to it, you know, you got to start earlier, but he just keeps refusing. He's stubborn, but I don't know. I'm going to figure out a way to make this boy eat vegetables. I ain't playing with him. <laughs> That's how like my mom, like my mom will, she will only eat like fried meat. I mean, like everything she does is fried. She will take a high quality steak and batter it and fry it like mm-hmm. so southern and it's just kind of like yeah. that's not good she won't eat any vegetables yeah so. yeah i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> uh but we gotta we gotta change it folks we gotta change it though put the veggies on the plates 
Or figure mm-hmm. out a way to, yeah. that you enjoy the veggies. You know, that's the thing. I think sometimes there's a misconception around vegetables. Like you can mm-hmm. still make it or cook it up in a way that still is healthy and tastes good to the, to your liking. It doesn't have to be like mm-hmm. this dry, raw, you know, green beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put a little garlic on there, a little olive oil, cook it up. You know what I mean? It's, it's good. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, um, so did you hear uh, about like the Harriet Tubman $20 bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been hearing about that, that they're kind of uh, delaying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was supposed to uh, be in circulation in 2020, but they have decided to postpone it until 2029. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's a long time, actually. It, it is a long time. They actually said, um, I don't know, I've, a lot of people linked it with like, oh, uh, Trump wants to be out of office before they put a black woman on the $20 bill. But I actually <laughs> read that, and I don't know how true this is or whether this is the true intention, but that it was actually related to the fact that they wanted it to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote. So I, I don't, mm. we'll see. I, I don't know if that's the true motivation, <laughs> but that's what they're saying. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Mm, okay, we'll see. Um, <laughs> go ahead and perhaps go put a Miss Harriet up on that bill real quick. Right? Did you actually see that mural? Like, it's been floating around social media where she's like has her hand out, like, like come with me. Have oh, you no, seen I don't that think mural? I've seen that one. Okay, yeah. so it's a painting. You should Google it. It's beautiful. And there was actually a picture of like a little black girl, uh, kind of reaching out to Harriet Tubman's hand because it's it's so lifelike, uh, with the way he painted it. So you guys should look at that. Oh yeah, no, I'm just checking it out right now. Yeah, I see. Oh yeah, oh, that's really dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That is very lifelike. I artists are something else, man. Mm-hmm. Like. Things they can do with just some colors and make it so lifelike. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Oh, all right. Um, so that's cool. All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that, I guess, for the next nine years. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, sometimes people delay stuff and be like, you know, because you want people to forget about it. Mm. Yeah, we ain't thinking about this one. <laughs> we definitely need a black person on some money for sure. Yeah. And Miss Harriet is a good a good suggestion. Um, okay. Quick to- quick uh, another quick topic. Um, I guess that can lead us into our next segment on politics. Though has been uh, recently the FBI has kind of released this weird report where they pretty much made a statement saying that there's been a significant rise in the number of white supremacist domestic terrorism mm. in recent months, um, but they didn't give us any numbers. You know, they just said that they've been noticing this trend, uh, but didn't really report any numbers. Um, So, you know, people are saying, you know, because of this recent administration and the kind of uh, empowerment he gives to these particular groups and feeling more emboldened to partake in these actions of hate, uh, we begin to see this rise. And, you know, I think it's not surprising news, but it's something worth mentioning that, you know, a credible source, the FBI, who does track these things, have been noticing that, yes, white supremacist domestic terrorism has been on the rise. So um, all you black folks out there, be on the ride, be on the, be on the lookout. You know, what's going on It's getting real out here. So we got to be on our P's and Q's for sure. You know what? I'm surprised they're actually tracking it. I know they in recent years have been like tracking the rise of like uh, potential like black domestic terrorist groups mm-hmm. and violent mm-hmm. groups. So really surprised that they're even doing it, but it's, 
not surprising that they um, did not release the actual numbers. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. We like feel like we're just going back in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I just wanted to mention that before we move forward, just so our listeners are aware of what's going on out here in these yes. streets. And, you know, like you said, it kind of, because that is so connected to our political climate, you know, it relates to our next topic where we're, you know, want to talk a little bit about politics, some of the things that have been going on. We want to talk about uh, the Democratic, you know, primaries to, you know, just give updates on that and how we're feeling about the potential yeah. candidates. The, the 70,000 candidates we got out <laughs> uh, right now, the Democratic Party. Uh, I think what we have been seeing is that there have been, you know, some front runners emerging in essence, I guess. Um, and as you know, this is this is weird. I just don't know how I'm truly still feeling because we talked about in this podcast before how, you know, I kind of wanted to see Joe Biden run and would kind of be excited about that. But now that he's doing, I don't feel the same <laughs> as I thought I would. Um, and I think largely it's because of some of his response to some of the things that he's been saying, largely with the, uh, with the violent crime bill, mm-hmm. uh, which has been one of his biggest critiques. Uh, and, you know, his response, which is problematic with, I'm noticing a lot of this, because we talked about the same thing when I talked about Kamala before, is this doubling down on stuff. Yes. Uh, and it's really, it's really pissing me off. You know, it's like, you know, he, he's they're, they're addressing his concerns, our concerns about how you contributed to this. And he's pretty much like, nah, it, this thing contributes to mass incarceration. Like, what are you talking about? Man? Past research for the past 10 years have been talking about how that was a big proponent of it. And you're just like throwing it all out the window because you don't want to hurt your reputation or whatever. Um, so, yeah, this, that's really frustrating for me and, you know, for a lot of folks I'm noticing, too. Yeah, it was it's definitely frustrating for me because it was first the Anita Hill thing to where, you know, she came out and it was kind of like it wasn't like a real apology. And I think even his wife like kind of came out and said something that was just like weird and awkward and sideways and like, girl, mm-mm, don't you don't want to if you want to give them, you know, black votes. But also, I feel like Biden will potentially run into the same trouble that Hillary had. Although it's crazy because Hillary was crucified as the first lady of a president who like signed this crime yeah. bill. But Joe Biden mm-hmm. was actually one of the architects of the bill. Yes. Two completely different. And as a note, Sanders signed the bill. I mean, supported the bill. So it's just kind of Mm -hmm. like, you know, this one, this lets us know we don't have any perfect candidates right now. No. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves is how are people thinking about it? Like we just had an episode uh, with Professor James Foreman where he talked about, you know, a lot of people. Even black people were in support of like some policies that ended up having very harmful impacts on the black community as a whole, because maybe people didn't have the foresight to know that this would be like so targeted in a racial way when it came to the implementation of the policies. And I don't want to say that's okay, but it's kind of like a a lot of people were making mistakes about how do we reduce crime? How do we deter certain things? So I would say a lot of people were in that boat. But for me, it is how have you evolved 
over the last like 20, 25 years. And if you have not, if you cannot um, admit to your mistakes, if you can't say like, mm, my heart was right here, but when I see what actually happened, I, I can't stand by that. If you can't say that, you're not going to win any votes. I'm sorry. You know what? That's all I want to see, Dad. That's all I want to see. It's not. It's not hard. I'm not saying like you can't go back in time and fix it, but it is that recognition. Um, stop acting like you did not contribute to this at all. Like you said, Professor Foreman said, even black folks contributed to this, even though that wasn't their intent. Their hearts were in the right place, trying to protect their communities. But the the what happened, the consequences, it did wind up hurting us in some way. So it's you can't correct something, you can't move past it if you don't recognize, you know, mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on. And and that's what's very problematic when I hear people like Biden, when I hear people like Kamala not recognizing the impact and the damage they've done. That means that's a very scary thing to me because mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's like when something else is presented in front of you, you're not going to be careful enough or critique it enough to make sure you're not going to continue further damage. So when you recognize it in my eyes, it's like, OK, I know this was a mistake. And now from this point forward, whenever something is placed in front of me, now I, I learn from my mistake and I can say, oh, well, this will this hurt the community? How are we protecting that? But if you're not doing that, Biden, then that's very worrisome. Um and I don't know. I don't. I don't know who's on their team that's telling them to do this kind of stuff. You know, just to say, nah, well, double down. Well, speaking of that, what's interesting is that a former uh, Bernie campaign person, her name is Simone Sanders. She's an African American woman. You know, out here in this political world, she, from what I have read and understand, like pretty much like crucified like Hillary Clinton on this crime bill issue, which again, she didn't even sign. She was not an architect. Like she spoke on it as a first lady, but like, and she was like formerly in Bernie's campaign, but now she's um, uh, Joe Biden's campaign advisor. And, you know, she kind of got tore up on CNN the other week because they were asking her to like, can you address uh, Biden's comments about like, you know, kind of like doubling down on his stance and like, you know, she's she was there like stuttering or like speaking out of both sides of her mouth because like, how can you defend that? Especially when you was ripping into Hillary Clinton for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need some consistency. And and what I even say with Hillary, she she recognized that it was an issue, you mm-hmm. know, and she said like, yeah, it was a mistake. We we should have did things differently. Like she owned up to it, even though like you said, she was she was just the first lady. She couldn't sign nothing. She didn't have that power, but she she, she I think she she took the right stance in it, you mm-hmm. know, um, and where she wouldn't do it. And and so I would I was hoping that Biden would do the same thing but he hasn't. And so, yeah, that definitely caused him at least me to side eye him a bit more too. Cause I'm just in a, I'm just in a place right now where I can't take chances with folks no more. You know, I can't, I need to know that at least you're going to take into consideration what has gone through for our people, you know, um, and, and at least think about it and consider it when you're putting these policies out. And right now I'm not hearing that from Biden. Yeah. I have a, so what's interesting is that, You know, we're having this conversation. I don't necessarily know if it's going to play out in the primaries, because when you look at the polls, Biden is leading. Like, I'm on real clear politics. And you look at all of these polls over the last couple of weeks and like Biden is far ahead of everybody. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it could play like 
and it's like, are people only thinking about wanting to beat Trump, wanting to beat Trump? And, you know, I want to beat Trump. But I hope we don't get so blinded by that, that we end up electing somebody else that's not actually going to, like, do anything useful. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're right. I mean, I I, I question, I don't know much about the polls. Uh, like, I mean, as far as who are they, who they're asking, uh-huh. um, because it's just kind of strange to me that a lot of the articles we see and we talked about it before critique a lot of these candidates, um, especially what Joe Biden has been saying. And it seems to have no effect on the poll numbers, which I, I have a hard time believing because I'm not sh- I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that feels the way I do about these candidates at the moment, yeah. what they're saying. And I wouldn't if I was in a poll, I wouldn't be just giving all my support to somebody like Joe Biden. So I don't know who they're really asking and what kind of the, the demographics are of these polls. But We've seen the whole thing with the polls with, um, you know, with Trump mm-hmm. and how misleading they were. Oh, yeah. And so now I think I have a, a healthy skepticism of, yeah, I see what the polls are saying, but I don't know if that's how it's actually going to play out when we get closer, when we start hearing them on the debate, um, on the debate scenes and stuff like that. I think things will start changing and be a little bit more accurate because it's still early on right now. But I do think you're right that it's probably more on electability mm-hmm. out of the candidates who people feel would be at the moment most likely to be. Trump. Um, but things change once they get into that public circuit and those debates and you start to feel the momentum and see it shift because Obama wasn't leading in the polls <laughs> early on and then wind up killing the game later on. So, um, but yeah, it is, it is quite strange. And yeah, the people who are leading the polls at the moment is like Biden, who's by far, he's like 33%. This is from the CNN mm-hmm. um, article I'm looking at. Sanders with 15%. Um, it's like a, two different polls where, where Kamala and, and Warren are pretty close. Mm-hmm. One has Kamala at 11% and then Warren at 10%. Another one has um, Warren at 11%, Kamala at 8%, um, and then is Buttigieg and then and O'Rourke. Yeah. Uh, beat yeah, that's uh, so on real clear politics. They they average literally all of the polls. And what you just said is about where they are. What's interesting to me with this is that Sanders, he he doesn't have that magic he had in 2016. Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> 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 Talk about falling off like that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I felt it when he first was announcing. Um, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel that same energy uh, that I think he thought and most other people thought he was going to have. Yeah. Um, and there's some people that are mad about that. But I'm going to be honest. I mean, I don't know how electable this person is, but by far my favorite is Warren. You know, she's been growing and I've been seeing increasingly more tweets amongst, you know, our peers, friends um, with support. They're really liking what Warren is saying. Uh, And I think and she's and and she's been increasing in the polls, but she's now right on Kamala's heels, uh, pretty much neck and neck with her. And so, you know, that's a good sign. I think she's doing something right. And what I'm finding interesting, too, and like I said on this podcast before and I I posted a couple articles is that um, she's had like academics on her 
um, team with these policies, initiatives, and how she's thinking about uh, things, even with the education, uh, student loans, and all that kind of stuff. Like she's using empirically based evidence and support to 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 put these policies out there. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, you cover a lot of bases, <laughs> and it makes what you're putting out there just a little bit more sound and concrete than just a bunch of fluff. And, and that's what I like. Yeah. It's she's not just rhetoric. She has plans. And I thought it was so funny. Um, someone like tweeted like uh, randomly, they didn't even tag her. And it was like, do you think Elizabeth Warren has a plan to fix my love life? Because it's like every time there's an issue, she oh, has yes. a plan. <laughs> and she's always like, DM me to let's figure it out. It was like oh, yeah. the internet went wild. I saw that. I was rolling. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's like, I love her. I love, oh my goodness. Like, I'm not afraid. Like right now, I mean, I still need to see some debates, but like she's the only person that I have seen that has like concrete plans that I, I think could be realistic. Like, they're not like so pie in the sky that I think she's selling yeah. drink. Like it's kind of like, I want to do this 50K to like help, you know, people pay off, you know, some of their student loans and this is how it would be funded. And it's not even like, you know, I think it was like 1% on the 1%. Like it was like such a small amount. Now I'm not saying that it's 100% uh, politically feasible, but it's not like saying like, oh, I'm going to tax like 50% on like, you know, these extra wealth, like, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think one of the things why Elizabeth is gaining this traction is because out of the candidates, um, I think she, to me, she's the one that at least shows or is demonstrating at the point that she hears us, you know, and even with like, you just mentioned that tweet, just by saying that you'll DM me, I'm help. It's just like, I'm listening to y'all. I'm hearing y'all and I'm trying my best to, to, to work with you and figure this out. And that's what we want. Somebody that just hears us. And then you can see is putting it into action. Mm. Um, And I think this is why a lot of us are, being more uh, increasingly more drawn to, to Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. She, right we'll now, see. she's the only person that, you know, kind of gets me excited who, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like at least within like recent years has been like very like consistent and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. And like I said, I ain't mad at Buddha judge either. Um, I, I think he's saying some good things, but he's still young and early in the game and, and still trying to figure some things out. Uh, so he's not as seasoned as like Elizabeth, who seems to have the policy down, down a little bit more down path mm-hmm. um, than, than most other folks right now. So yeah. she's going to give, I think Elizabeth is going to give people a run for their money when the debate season comes. I, I'm starting to feel that Joe is being a little too cocky mm-hmm. at the moment. <laughs> Bernie's going to be Bernie and keep, keep his same talking points. Kamala's still trying to figure out her way. It was going to see how she plays it out on the stage. And I think when it comes to policy, Elizabeth is going to be giving uh, these other car- these other people a little bit more yeah. um, competition. And I mean, I it is cool to see like a, a black woman in a, you know, top five, you know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's cool. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm going for policy. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you gotta get talking our language. Although it's crazy. <laughs> like, it's great. Like, I wouldn't even benefit. Like, but I like it so much because I think it would stimulate the economy. I think it would be, like, so helpful to so many people. But, like, she's speaking my language or things that I could benefit from with, like, other policies. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, like with the black black maternal, black moms yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I think mm-hmm. she also talked about, like, child care. Like, you know, trying to help people figure that out because it's just, like, so Yeah, insane. universal child yeah. care. So, 
And like you said, you're you're in the school system and you see these kids working all these jobs and trying to do all this stuff. And imagine if they didn't have to do mm-hmm. that, you know, if there was st- things systemically set up where they can just concentrate, be a kid and concentrate on school. Um, profound changes. So, yeah, uh, so she's hearing us. At least like, we can say that much. Yeah. So for me, one of the reasons that I am so focused on policy, what candidates are saying, what plans they have is because uh, I won't even say for better or worse, but for worse, we have seen what happens when a candidate campaigns on a particular platform, they get into office and they follow through. And that has happened with Trump. Like in, mm-hmm. you know, 2015, 2016, he said he was going to support or nominate conservative anti-abortion Supreme Court justices because he was going to help overturn Roe v. Wade. And we've talked about abortion um, laws and acts that have been recently passed um, on the show, like you know, here and there, not not really going into detail, but look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. That, like that is enough to rile his base and get him elected again in 2020, because despite the investigations, despite everything else, he has followed through on a nominating anti-abortion judges. Mm-hmm. And now we see all of these states with these laws that are specifically implemented to challenge Roe v. Wade. They didn't really think this stuff was going to stand, you know, the like the test of like courts, the lower courts. They knew that there would be injunctions, but they did that so they can appeal and keep moving it up the chain until eventually the Supreme Court hears it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They want to have a lot of cases to bring to the Supreme Court and make enough noise which they are doing. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's like, I think they're doing this intentionally too, because they know they're going to get a lot of headlines and which is mm-hmm. the case. Cause people are like, well, you can get 99 years for an abortion and all this other kind of stuff. And you got to punish the women. And well, most of it is really just punishing the doctors more so than the actual yeah. people. Uh, but it's just the headlines you've just been seeing and it's been causing everybody to get up in arms and upset um, and, and it just gives them more publicity, more push, you know, uh, politicians, get your name out there. Um, and, and you know, and it, having these conversations, I think it does garner a little bit more support for the politicians that are supporting this. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you have something polarizing, people are going to essentially most of the time choose sides uh, mm-hmm. and, and be more concrete in the sides they're in. And I think people who are, you know, this kind of pro-life stance are, you know, going to dig their feet deeper in the sand now. Um, with these issues and politicians who support it because now they think it's a chance, which, you know, it's a possibility of it being overturned. So now any politician using that rhetoric, which Trump will do and everybody on Trump's bandwagon will do because that's their main talking point, like you said, that's going to get them uh, secure votes. And these are people who are probably not going to budge and move no matter what, especially if you're saying anything along the lines of like pro-choice, which is funny because now I see the language that we were like, oh, they changed to like pro-abortion. I'm like, yo, come on, man. Like, come on. Y'all ain't slick. And there's been like a lot of articles I've been seeing has been like pro-life and pro-abortion. Like, what? Like, what? Like, y'all are Nobody wild, is pro-abortion. People are pro-choice. <laughs> but like when you change the language, people begin to distance themselves. Like, who wants to be associated with pro-abortion? Yes. Like, nobody. So uh, people need to come up with a... a pro-pregnancy or something because it's definitely not pro-life because yeah. a lot of the people who are pro-life 
don't care about those lives once they are out of the womb. They do not. Pro controlling women's bodies. Ridiculous. Like I know, um, it w- was it was it the one the biggest one that was like, uh, well, that had a lot of hoopla. Was I think the Alabama one when they were putting all the pictures of all the the white men who passed it. I think all the mm-hmm. white senators, and then, but then like the you know people were also saying. Uh, let's not forget who signed it, who, yeah. you know, who's the governor, who's a white woman as mm-hmm. well. Um, Very true. And it's like, you know, these are the conversations that we need to have because it's, yes, it, it's it's the party in general, but it's also women who are contributing to this uh, belief system as well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's not, to me, it's not a complicated issue, uh, but the way how polarizing it is and what they're trying to do is very scary in a lot of ways. It It is. And, you know, like I said, this is just the, the first step was actually implementing these laws. The second step is, you know, this, you know, challenges and a Mississippi uh, federal judge actually just struck down the the Mississippi law, I'm pretty sure, you know, that will continue to happen and there will be appeals and mm-hmm. we'll see how this, we'll see if the Supreme court will even take the case because, mm-hmm. you know, this has been decided like before, but, but we'll see. Yeah. But the reason that we do have to, like, like I said, I don't want to be so like only thinking about like beat Trump, but it is important that if you care about like balance on the Supreme court, and it not being like, I don't want the Supreme Court to be political. It should not be yeah. based on political party. Although, you know, different presidents from different political parties appoint the judges. Yeah. I, I don't want it to become like this is just another like politicized uh, branch of government. Yeah. I really don't. I really hope the Supreme Court just takes all the wind out the sails and just be like, listen, we ruled on this before. We're not going back to it. It is what it is. So y'all can y'all can stop now. <laughs> stop like, like we're going to tell you if it hits our, they just need to be like, if it hits our desk, this is how we're going to rule no matter what. We're not overturning it. Because um, I don't think there's any new information you can bring to to change that, you know, uh, it, it's just, it is what it is. The same thing. It would just be people's personal beliefs. It yeah. would not be on the law and on the constitution, but it's funny. Cause I think Georgia <laughs> tried to, um, you know, say that a fetus is a person. And so now is the question of like, if that's the case, then if there is a pregnant woman in jail, which happens a lot, then you're falsely imprisoning, you know, the person like does the fetus get a like, so it's just like, I don't know. It just, it like them redefining things just kind of like complicates everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I really quickly when I saw on Facebook, because this reminded me of a conversation we had with Reverend uh, Daryl LeBon not too long ago and mm-hmm. conversations about uh, religious, you know, leaders and their stake in these things. And, you know, there was this like when I was back at Purdue, there's this church I used to go to and this pastor was just like, he was just posting um, articles kind of uh, uh, criticize or critique or like debunking uh you know, this kind of pro-choice narrative in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I just found an issue with that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, bro, like, come on, man. Just just let it be. You know what I'm saying? Don't get involved with that kind of stuff um, and, and focus on, you know, the Bible, the book, whatever it is. But I don't know, I just found an issue that he was, like, really putting out all these 
you know, and, and the sources that he was putting out was just, it's always funny the sources people choose to use to support their, <laughs> support their narrative uh, are usually not always the best, uh, uh, the best sources in general, like the, whatever the, the websites they're pulling it from. Not um, surprised. Yeah, always kind of like really <laughs> evidence that confirms our own biases. Yeah, I'm like come on, man, it's not even a good source you're posting, but you have a, t- a congregation full of folks following you, and you're putting out this um, bad, you know, at least bad information, you know, not mm-hmm. from a credible source, and now people are going to take that and run with it, and 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 now you're getting political in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never saw, and I also um, say this, I never saw him post nothing with no, and he's a white pastor, right? So I never saw him post nothing when it came to Black Lives Matter, you know, yeah. and that stuff. Yeah. So you choose what you want to be political and sway people on uh, and, and post yeah. articles, but you silence on other things when your congregation is predominantly white. Uh, at least be consistent when, when, when these issues arise. If you're going to be outspoken, to be outspoken on all issues. But anyway, we can mm-hmm. keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. Preach. All right. All right. So, on a lighter note, let's get to some entertainment news. Uh, yeah. Uh, Daphne and I. Although you know, we're not moving away from politics. Technically, <laughs> yeah, technically, <laughs> really not. Uh, when we talk about the politics of what happened in the Game of Thrones finale, yeah. series finale, season finale, all the above. Uh, you know, the whole season. You know, Daphne and I have chimed in. What we kind of been thinking about it. It's been a talk of the land for the past six or so weeks. Uh, but now that it's finally over, I guess, Daphne, I can talk about how we how we felt about the ending and, and go from there. So, so what were your overall thoughts, Daph, about Game of Thrones? Um, so I'm going to be honest with y'all. I ran the spoilers. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. But I just, I truly did not believe them. I was like, no way. This is BS. So I watched the show uh-huh. as if I had not read any spoilers because I just knew it could not be true that, spoiler alert, Bran would become <laughs> king. I was like, no way. No yeah, way. Yeah, that's how all of us felt. Child, I was sitting there watching that last episode just like, low-key, just like, ugh. Like, I, I don't even know. I feel like in some ways the ending made sense, but in some ways it's just kind of like, I'm just so dissatisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing, like you said, was brand. Uh, like, I'm just like, what? Like, come on, like brand out of everybody. Um, and the thing, and one of the funny things is too, cause I've been reading the reactions from the, the, you know, a lot of the major actors and actresses and, um, Brand talked about when he first got handed that final script of what was going to happen. The actor that plays Brand, I don't know his real name, but yeah, what did he say? Um, he said he got the script and read that you know they were saying he was going to be a king, and he said he literally bust out laughing. Ah, he said he swore it was. Did. He said he swore it was a joke. He thought that the writers gave each character a fake script of them, <laughs> like their character becoming getting on the throne um which would have been funny too and then like he started talking about us and the writer's like no this is the real script and he was like kind of like what the hell yeah. <laughs> so even him playing this character for all these seasons was like not even expected and kind of felt like it was left field of him being ending up on the iron throne um so yeah. that, that says a lot you know uh <laughs> when that happens um so what's interesting is that um, and I don't know if the author will now change it, but they had the outline 
of the final, I think, two books related that, you know, that the Game of Thrones is based off of, like A Song of Fire and Ice. So supposedly this is supposed to be the the ending that the actual author you know, created. Mm. But I think looking at what happened, I wouldn't be surprised if you changed the story. I or, be surprised either. What, but the thing is, I so I maybe the TV show didn't spell out the story in a way where it would make sense that we That's exactly brand on it. They mm. did this in six episodes, and to actually find that, find out that. HBO told them they could have as many episodes as they wanted. HBO said they, they wanted ten two. seasons. <laughs> they, they, I mean, it was David and is it both David and David? Yeah, they call them D and D on yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they because they're about to do the Star Wars a new yeah. Star Wars trilogy, so I think they just wanted to get the show over with. I think there could have been a storyline where. It all made sense to see Brand in that role, but they weren't willing to do the work to tell that story. That's that's pretty much what's been coming out because HBO, people have been attacking HBO. HBO like, listen, we told them we'll give them 10 seasons. We told them, like you said, we'll take as many episodes as you want. Like they pretty much gave them unlimited resources to, to finish this thing <laughs> off. And these cats were like, listen, we trying to move on. Let's just hurry this up, um, which I think messes up their brand because honestly, I'm kind of pissed at them. Yeah. And so now that they're doing the Star Wars trilogy, I'm like, yeah, don't expect me to rush out to see that, bro. That y'all yeah. wanting that. <laughs> yeah, because as soon as you're willing to move, uh, waiting to move on to the next project, and it's like they actually reached out to the author to like do this. It's not like he was looking for his book to be turned into um, yeah. a TV show. Yeah, I reached out to him. Killed it for like five seasons, six seasons, then all of a sudden, y'all trying to hurry us along. And give us this, this. Like I said, I do think the book probably will make a lot more sense if that's how he ended it. You're going to get a lot more context. You'll probably see the transition and a, a brand possibly becoming king and little hints being dropped, or even just telling us like what brand actually does. <laughs> Besides, uh, just zone out, rolling his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> and the author's name is George R. R. Martin. I just been saying the author because I couldn't yeah. recall it, but I do want to, you know, say his name. Yeah. Um, but now this makes me actually want to read the books because I I want to get the full story. So, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just feel like we didn't get enough of. If Brand is going to wind up being king, we need a lot more of his character development. Mm-hmm. understood we do. we do we do especially when it was like the line of like why do you think i'm here yeah why, the whole- <laughs> here? why? why are you the whole time you was like you don't want this <laughs> and all of a sudden he asked you like yo why did i come all this way like bro what you mean <laughs> what you mean we uh, trying to figure it out too and then sansa she's like uh you know he can't have kids right <laughs> somebody made a meme like nobody absolutely nobody and like uh like sansa like you know he can't have kids right like nobody Sans- asked you that sansa was funny because she was kind of like the voice everybody wanted to say in a lot of ways like when the mm-hmm. uncle uncle was sitting up like <laughs> Bro, where are you coming from? You ain't about to be nobody's king. Santa, like, bro, sit, sit down, please. Sit down. Um, sit down. You know what? She actually, I feel like they, her character was truly developed. Like, I yeah. feel 
a, I felt like a completeness with her storyline, her being, you know, the queen of the North, holding it down for the North. I could actually see how she became this voice of reason yeah. that people didn't listen to all mm-hmm. the time. But like, I saw how she ended up in that place. I think they did a really good job with Sansa. Oh yeah. Yeah. They did a good job. Most of the start kids, man. Besides brand was the one we just didn't get a lot of exposure to and wind up on the, on the, on the throne. Um, it was funny also when Sam was uh, suggesting democracy. Yeah. <laughs> Try to bust out laughing. That's hilarious. Um, I am trying to figure out how I feel about how John's story ended. In yeah. some ways, I could see him happy being... Uh, I could see him being happy in the North with the free folk. Like he was happy before we saw it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't like the fact that he was like pretty much exiled. Yeah. That the whole Targaryen storyline just like they didn't even mention that in the final council meet. Like I thought that there would at least be a reference to the fact that like, you know, he was the true heir. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like mm-hmm. that was silly. Yeah, it would have been better if John did that, like his own decision, you know, mm-hmm. uh, instead of being because he did a lot for everyone, brought a lot of people together, and it's like he kind of still left without that honor or dignity and a lot of what our recognition, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of people because he never wanted the throne. He said that a bajillion times every year. Um, so I think that's something that he truly, like deep down, really meant. Like he just did not want to have all that responsibility, and he was happiest at being on the other side of the wall and, and doing that kind of work. And I think, you know, that's an article I read that's saying pretty much all the Stark children really still questionable about Bran, but got what they wanted at the end. Um, yeah. You know, Sansa, she was like, listen, the North, we still going to be us. We ain't, you know, y'all could do y'all, but <laughs> we ain't taking no parts of this. And Arya, you know, the nomad that she is and, and just going around and, and figuring out the world and just discovering and exploring. That was her. And so, so yeah, I can see, yeah. um, but it's over now. Yeah. But like you said, I think it was John being stripped of his dignity. That was like the perfect way to put it. I just didn't like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Cause we all know John is so noble. Yeah. So noble. Mm-hmm. They had to do our boy like that. <laughs> they did not deserve him. They did not, man. They did not. Um, yeah. So Game of Thrones, the end of a, I guess they say, I heard they are writing a, a series prequel um, to it of like Ned Stark and all of them. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of like that whole, you know, before the kids and, and when everything was happening and the Mad King, uh, they yeah. are in the works of developing that. Um, so that may be interesting. We'll see who the D and D are writing it. Then I may not get invested. We'll see. <laughs> Some people said that they think that they ruined the final season of Game of Thrones because they're pissed uh, about the Confederate show being like tossed because people uh, didn't like didn't like that idea. Yeah. They like, oh, they're just mad uh, about the Confederate. It show. might be. It might be, but. Come on, just give us the ending we all deserve. We 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 hung with y'all for eight years, eight nine years. Just do us right. But like I said, they don't hurt nobody but themselves with all of this. They really didn't. And this show will still be a classic, but I'll read the fanfic fan fiction <laughs> uh, with a new ending or something. So. Yeah, or at least when people read the final books, at least they'll tell us maybe yeah. a little bit what how it actually goes now. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. A uh, couple more things, entertainment news. Uh, I know we briefly talked about 
uh, See You Yesterday, the Spike Lee joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, produced. I don't think he directed it, but he produced it. Uh, um, came out and, um, you know, tore a story about two uh, black teenagers who create a time machine and pretty much go back in time um, and and relive. You know, one, they're just excited to do that, this advancement. But then uh, the storyline progresses in a way where they continuously go back in time um, because uh, her brother winds up dying from a police shooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, kind of surprised me. I didn't think the movie was about that or going to take that turn, and, and it did. And so it became a little bit of a deeper meaning, you know, for uh, not only kids being involved in STEM and the possibilities, but also kids from these communities, if they had that kind of power, what would they be concerned about, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a big reality of, of victimization, lost loved ones, whether it be police brutality or other kinds of violent crime, uh, trying to correct that if they had the power to go back in time. And all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I agree. And technically, uh, if you haven't seen it, what we just said is not really a spoiler. I feel like you could get the gist of all of that from looking at, uh, you know, how Netflix does like the the preview. preview. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, all of that is revealed in a preview, but without spoiling the end, just Jen, how did you feel about the way it ended? Uh I was like, uh, to be honest, I was like, what? That was my idea. <laughs> I was like, I didn't. Um, it hit me where I was like, I wanted more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, try not to spoil it. I just wanted more. Uh, and I felt that they could have did it a little differently, but I can see why they did it in that fashion. Um, yeah. Um, I see why they did it in that fashion, yeah. Yeah, me too. Like, I feel like when we don't get the resolution that we want, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. But I feel like those types of endings, they they leave you thinking. Yeah. And I think when we think about the message of the movie, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, can, I don't know, like, can things actually change? Yeah. Um, you know, and... And I mean, even like going back to like thinking about the 94 crime bill uh, and a conversation we just had, you know, you can't change the past, can you? Yeah. Um, so it's just like, what's a good way to move forward? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what ultimately it kind of is about, you yeah. know, because um, then because it has me thinking like, if I create a time machine, what would I do with it? You know, <laughs> what would I try to address? I don't know. I probably try to do something fun. Maybe go back to some some of the fun times I had in, in school or something like that. Some some classic turn ups or whatever. <laughs> Relive that for a night. I but don't know. All time travel movies because I think about the butterfly effect, which oh yeah, I really like. It's just kind of like when you go back and try to change. Like it's it's a chain reaction. It's mm-hmm. like all of these other things that you didn't expect. So it's just yeah. like. I don't know. Maybe things should just, mm-hmm. you know, be how they are. <laughs> or we had it all wrong, like in Avengers Endgame, we just create an alternate reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we never talked about that. Uh, oh, yeah, we did talk about Endgame. I, you- it took me forever to see it. Like, so it came out the day before I was going on my cruise. And uh, I was okay. busy. Like, I had work to do. I probably would have tried to see it that 30, Thursday, but it was just, it didn't work out. So I didn't see it. So I went on a seven-day cruise, which I was away from the internet, which is good. And I think people were pretty good about just not discussing Yeah, they were. Media. Even upwards of, like, seven days after, like, people still weren't. And so I think I saw it that 
Wednesday after I got back from the cruise, so almost two weeks after it came out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the Monday after I couldn't, there was no tickets out here the whole weekend. <laughs> so I had to see it like that Monday night. Um, and I watched it. It was, it was, it was good. I mean, um, I would say my honest opinion is that it, it was, it wasn't, it was, it was a, some parts were slow to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, I thought I was maybe I was just anticipating more action. It's probably just my expectations. Like, yo, this is it. You know, it's been years. They about to be like so much action. It's about to be on and popping. But it was more of the you know um, drama. Of, yeah, yeah. You know, the the after effects of what happened in the last movie and everybody dealing with it. And so they spent quite a bit of time with that. But then of course the last thirty minutes or so was was the turn up time, which was epic. Yeah. Um, really so I think was. it was just my expectations of what I thought it was going to be to what it turned out, which I wasn't mad about. Um, Because they did a great job at closing pretty much all the character development, a lot of the chapters, um, and setting it up for the next wave. Yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't leave upset. I just I just wanted some more action. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with that. And now that you say that you couldn't get a ticket to Monday, I actually remember why people did not spoil. And it was because so many people could not get tickets the actual weekend it opened. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, y'all don't talk about this because there are literally no tickets. Actually, yeah, that was the reason. Mm-hmm. Or like mm-hmm. respectful on social media. Yeah, cuz it wasn't one of those situations like, oh, y'all should have seen it by now. Like it was like, oh, literally you cannot get no <laughs> tickets <laughs> at all for like at least the whole first week. It was insane. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So yeah, people were very respectful of that. So I was glad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wasn't mad at it. Um We'll see how they continue it. You know, the, the like I said, the last scene was was pretty fun to watch. Mm. They had everybody come back, and it was just like the big turn up. I you know, do you know. still, even though I feel like they wrapped up all the storylines really well. I I still want to see another Black Panther. Oh well, they definitely doing that. Um, that's already in the works and okay. confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Coogler uh, is is doing that, and um, I know they had talked about. They haven't talked about who what they're planning to do, but I know they had talked about Childish Gambino coming mm. on and playing the new villain mm. um, as well. I forgot, is the new villain supposed to be like some, I think some kind of like Haitian guy or something like that. Oh, interesting. Um, who was resurfacing the comic books a lot, who was like one of T'Challa's main, you know, enemies along with Killmonger. And then, you know, they haven't spilled the beans by anything yet, but there is a possibility that Killmonger may come back too to whatever we'll see how that goes but but they are working on that and the same team and everybody so that'll be a fun one yeah i really didn't want them to uh kill uh killmonger like i i didn't want that but it's funny <laughs> i wonder if like uh black panther is really good again whether uh chat with bozeman will get tired of like doing the wakanda forever sign <laughs> <laughs> he seemed over it he did after just the first one um yeah. Uh, but you know, part of it is just, hey, uh, these black kids, these black folk, we don't have that, and so you know, a superhero to look up to and, and have a sign and symbol. So, yeah. and maybe something he just have to deal with for the rest of his life. <laughs> but I'm sure he's gonna get tired of it. Yeah. Um, isn't he doing another movie too? He just got picked up to be. He's always the like all of these black figures uh, in all his movies, and I think he just got picked up to do a movie on like the first black samurai or something like that. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I just seen it uh, last week come up. Um, the play lead role for that, so that'd be pretty interesting too. Yeah, um, he actually he, he gets roles, man. He, he works. does. 
<laughs> he gets all these roles, man. Uh, so it's funny, but yeah, shout out to Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> um, and I guess to to finish this off on somebody who has been getting roles but now has lost uh, a lot of roles has been Jason Mitchell. Um, I don't know. Do you watch The Shy, Daph? I don't watch The Shy. Okay. But I know I he played the- in, um, he played Easy e right? Yeah, he played Easy e That's where he his breakout role. I think that was actually one of his like first actually acting gigs. Uh, I think I heard him say in an interview, but he did play Easy E and straight out of Compton. Um, and since then he's just been blowing up and his career getting a lot of major roles. And one of the major roles has been a, a really, really, really big character, a lead character in, in, in the shot. It's probably in the shot is probably like three lead storylines and he plays one of them, which is a core one because he kind of links the other two storylines together. Um, and, he also got the lead role for this new movie, Netflix movie coming out called Desperado. And he just had a lot of great stuff going for him. And recently, he pretty much has gotten fired from all of this, from The Shy, from Desperado. Even his uh, booking agency has, has fired him as well due to sexual harassment, sexual misconduct allegations and all this other stuff. Wow. Um, so he's had allegations on the site on the site of The Shy um, with the woman who plays his girlfriend on the show she filed for things and they said that they the show they kind of took care of it and then there were new allegations on the set of like desperado of things that happened offset that seemed to be pretty um serious and they fired him immediately and then his his team fired him immediately and then they caught when the shy team caught wind of it and then they were like yeah you gotta go bro um and so He's now unemployed and his reputation seems to be at stake. Don't know the, the actual details of what he has done, but it's probably pretty serious that everyone has mm-hmm. um, fired him. It's that. So um, the person who acted opposite of uh, him on this shot, I think her last name is Boone. Yeah, uh, yeah Tiffany Boone. Boone. Um, it said that whatever was happening got so bad that her fiance, uh, Mark Richardson, who is on Dear White People, had to come to set whenever she filmed shots with. Um, yeah. Yeah. She said she felt unsafe. Um, but she's like, what, bro, what are you doing, man? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure the details will probably come out eventually. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely unacceptable, but definitely disappointed in this because he, he was blowing up, you know. Yeah. Very good actor, getting a lot of good roles, and now you got this. Yeah, I mean, it's so stupid. Like, we're in a Me Too movement. Why would you do anything like that? And it's just kind of like your star was rising, was whatever you wanted to do to these people that important that you would literally ruin your entire life and career? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, did you think you could get away for for uh, away with it because your star was rising? Mm-hmm. We should know. That's what I started to think. We should know that it's not like that anymore. Like, no we're way. taking down big people. You know, despite the fame, despite the money, we're not putting up with that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So that's what I kind of think. You know, you get bigger, he start feeling himself, and um, like, bro, she has a fiance. You know, she's a coworker. Be professional. Um, and you're out here doing crazy things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But so a lot of people, cause you know, Lena Waithe writes the shy and, um, you know, I'm a fan of the shy. I love the show. He played an integral role, great character. And I was like, what do you do? 
uh, for all the fans of the show. Um, she said, you know, I saw her on Twitter responding to people like, don't worry, season three is still on the popping. It's going to be even better yet. It's not going to stop us. So we'll see. It's weird in the show. We have a major character like this uh, and now he's just going to be gone. How are you going to write him out? I'm sure she, she's a great writer. I'm sure she'll figure out a way to do it um, where we probably won't miss a beat, but we'll see how it happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all right. So you know, anything else pressing? We covered a lot today. Um, nothing else. Uh, I guess we should let our audience know how things are going to work over the summer. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we'll be doing over the summer is because you know we've been doing me Daphne's been doing this for over a year and a half now, so we get to see certain trends and patterns, and we realize that hey, summertime people chilling, going on vacation outside of their normal things, and so uh, we always continuously get interviews and we still have a lot of interviews lined up but what we'll do is we'll just have more episodes of Daphne and I and then you know maybe we'll bring friends on and stuff like that to come chat like we've done in the past uh but just talk about current events what's going on um have more conversational dialogue about whatever we want to talk about uh, on the podcast and we'll have probably a We'll definitely probably put a couple interviews out, but less of them, and then save most of them to when everybody gets back into the swings and thing, swing of things in the fall and vacations are over and relaxation is over and, you know, you want to listen to us as you're working out again or mm-hmm. on your commute to work mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you're studying, all that great stuff. Um, so we'll still be out there, you know, still be consistent every Wednesday. No issues about that, but, yeah. you know, we'll just be talking more about hot topics and it'll just just consider a, a an extended yeah. session of and i mean news. the summertime that's when entertainment <laughs> sometimes starts like heating up so you know got a lot to talk about oh yeah there'll be a, there'll be a lot more to talk about and and stuff i'm, I'm even anticipating like music because we've been in a drought for a while of new music i know Khaled just re- recently released his album but i think there's going to be a lot of like top uh, top artists mm-hmm. releasing music this summer too and it's already been buzzed about Rihanna's album uh, being more reggae centrist in a way um, but I think that's going to be coming out pretty soon too uh, but there'll be a mm-hmm. lot of other stuff entertainment wise too coming out but alright did you see Aladdin yet you thinking about seeing that oh yeah I haven't seen it yet but I am thinking about seeing it I, I have already people have been saying that it was pretty good and they thought Will Smith did a good job so. okay okay yeah I haven't heard much about it but I'll probably check it out too I know um, I think when does uh, Lion King come out July I'm excited for that one oh uh, yes yes yeah mm-hmm. okay so y'all check out Atlanta but um but other than that you know thanks for checking us out listening to us as always you know be back again next week if you haven't yet follow us on social media at BHD podcast we're on Twitter Instagram and Facebook uh, visit our website www.blackandhollydangerous.com uh, and to keep up all our latest content you can also email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas suggestions if you like to be on the podcast all that great stuff we're always welcoming those kind of things um, if you haven't yet please Please uh, review and rate us on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, that really helps us out. I know a few of you have been doing that. Really, really thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And um, after you review and rate us, go ahead and uh, share us with your friends, share us with your family, and share us with your enemies. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.